We invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 8. Matthew 8, from which we will read in just a moment. I am so thankful for your presence today. We have among us some people that we've known and loved over the years. We thank you for your presence. And there are people that I didn't get to meet. And whether I've known you for years and people here have known you for years or whether you are brand new, we want you to know that you are welcome in this place to worship our God. It is such a blessing to be able to proclaim His name openly. I am thankful as well for all those who participated and all those who prayed yesterday for our work of handing out Bibles. And, as Brad had mentioned earlier, and the final count that I got, Brad, was 134 that we handed out. And there were probably thousands who saw our son and who had opportunity. It's a blessing that many were handed out. But as I have told you before, if we had stood there for six hours and not handed out one, it would have been a success. It would have been a success. But let us pray as we begin. Oh, Lord, our God, we are so thankful, so thankful that in our land, with all of its faults and all of its sins, we can still speak your name openly. And we pray, O Lord, that you give us the courage to take advantage of those opportunities. We thank you, God, that you bless us with places that provide us opportunities to speak. That you provide us the money to purchase Bibles to help other people have access to you and your will And we thank you for sending hearts that are concerned enough about your word to want a copy, to want to see what it says, who want to investigate it further. And Lord, we pray that you bless every one of those Bibles, that they may fall in the hearts of people who might be good soil. The word might sink into their heart. And make a difference in their life. Use us to point them to you. To you, O God, be all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you, and I do not want you to feel badly if you cannot... But let me ask you, for those who can, to stand as we read these words. Matthew 8, verses 18-34. For the New American Standard Bible. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart 
to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, for the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So the boat was being covered with waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then get up. he then got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? When he came to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of tombs. They were extremely violent so that no one could pass that way. And they cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. And the demons began to entreat him saying, If you are going to cast us into the swine, send us into the herd, cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came and went into the swine and the whole bank, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demonics. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave that region. Thank you for standing. Feel free to sit. We stated a couple of weeks ago that half of the miracles that Jesus does in the Gospel of Matthew are in Matthew 8 and 9. In Matthew 8 and 9, miracles are the rule. The teaching of Jesus or the encounter with people where He is teaching them, speaking to them, but not doing a miracle is the exception. But right away, we encounter this section where the Bible says that Jesus saw a crowd around him. Now, generally for teachers, there is excitement in the crowd. There's excitement. Do you remember, a few of you remember how many we had on this day last year? We had a whopping... 27. Because COVID had decided to visit the congregation during this time. So I'm excited we have more than 27 today. I'm excited about that. A crowd can be a cause of excitement. But it's also fascinating that in Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he would challenge them. Because maybe some of them had 
have not thought carefully about what it means to be his follower. In Luke 14, verse 25, the Bible tells us large crowds were going along with him. And he turned and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus challenged the crowd. And Jesus saw the crowd. He gave orders to depart. But the Bible tells us that he encounters two prospective disciples. Two would-be disciples. The first one is mentioned in verse 19 as being a scribe. Now the scribes have been mentioned before in Matthew, but not positively. In Matthew 5 and verse 20, Jesus said, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 28 and 29, Jesus taught them, not as the scribes, but he taught as one having authority. Now there are some positive mentions of scribes in the gospel of Matthew. A scribe brings out of the storehouse both things old and new in Matthew 13 and verse 52. There are positive mentions of scribes, but this is the first one we've encountered. It is the exception rather than the rule that the scribes are mentioned positively. And it says a scribe came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. He doesn't put any conditions on his discipleship. He doesn't say, Lord, let me do this first. I need to care about, I need to be, I need to do this. He doesn't do any of that. He volunteers and volunteers unconditionally. Now, it was typical for a Jewish disciple to pick a teacher and to associate with that teacher. It is interesting that Jesus has initiated the call to his apostles. It's interesting. He did that to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In Matthew 4, 18 through 22. He called Levi to follow him. We'll see that in Matthew 9, verses 9 and 10. Jesus usually initiated the call. This scribe comes and initiates it and says, I will follow you wherever you go. For a person that was this talented, for a person that was this willing to come in and ask to place membership, we would all be excited. We would all be excited. And Jesus said, I want you to count the calls. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The crowds were thronging around Jesus. They were hanging on his words. Jesus was doing mighty miracles that left the crowds awestruck. And Jesus said, 
recognized that following me often involves hardship and difficulty and sacrifice. Young people particularly, I want you to choose to follow Jesus. I want you to make that your priority in life. But I want you to know there are difficulties associated with any path that you take. And there are difficulties associated with following Him. And understand that following Him means sacrifice. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Jesus is telling us to count the cost. But another disciple comes and says, Lord, permit me first to bury my father. I think it's likely the man's father has not passed away. He's saying, let me care for him until he dies. Because the Jews put such emphasis on burial. They put such emphasis on that, that if his father just died, he's not going to leave and just be talking. The Apocrypha book of Tobit, if you ever get a chance to read that, shows us the emphasis the Jewish people put on burial. And he says, Lord, permit me first to bury my father. Now, a father, even the normal priest, could take part in the burial of his father, according to Leviticus chapter 21 in verses 1 through 4. The high priest couldn't, but the average priest could. He couldn't just take part in anybody's funeral, but he could take part in his father's funeral. Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said, allow the dead to bury their own dead. Some have compared when Elijah called Elisha in 1 Kings 19, beginning around verse 20. When Elijah called Elisha, he said, let me go and bid farewell to those at home. And he said, go ahead. But one greater than Elijah is here. Now I want you to know, just as it would be shocking for us to greet someone this way today, it would have been shocking in that culture for Jesus to have said these things to this man. It would have been shocking. Some people would say it's fanatical. But Jesus showed our relationship with Him takes priority. And even when a person says, Go, let me go and bury my father, Jesus says, In this case, Get rid of your excuses. One needs to get rid of excuses. The other would-be disciple needs to count the cost. This Jesus that we love and adore, and we must, 
spoke directly in all these matters. He spoke directly about the need to put him above all. Why should we listen to him? Why should we listen to these words? Well, I think the context helps shows us some reasons. The song that we sang that Paul Levison just before brings back so many memories of singing that song growing up. Powerful song. His disciples get into a boat and there is a great storm on the sea. The word that's translated storm is used three other times in the Gospel of Matthew. And each time it's translated earthquake. It's used seven times in the book of Revelation. Translated earthquake. But but there is a great upheaval of nature. There is a storm. And the boat was being covered. And Jesus is asleep. The only time in the Gospels that Jesus is pictured as asleep. Now, sleep can indicate that we've been forgotten. That we've been forgotten. What are you doing, Jonah was asked, sitting there sleeping when this ship is about to be overwhelmed by the sea? Sleep can indicate indifference. Listen to this passage, Psalm 78, verse 65. The Lord awoke as if from sleep. Like a warrior overcome by wine. Sleep may indicate indifference. But sleep may indicate complete trust. In Psalm 3 in verse 5, I lay down and slept and I woke. For the Lord sustained me. Now in Jesus' case... It is the latter, but the disciples interpret it as the former. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And some of the other gospels, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? And Jesus says, why are you afraid? You men of little faith. Isn't it interesting that you've got professional fishermen on this boat, asking this carpenter for help with a storm. They obviously know Jesus can do something. But they themselves are astounded. It says he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it became perfectly calm just as verse 24 talks about a great storm so verse 26 talks about a great calm there's a great storm and after Jesus rebuked the wind and wave there is a great calm and yet interestingly there is little faith on the part of the disciples little faith remember what Jesus said To the centurion who said, Lord, you just speak the word and my servant will be healed. He said, Jesus marveled at his faith in Matthew chapter 
8 in verse 10. And now Jesus is rebuking his disciples and saying, Oh, you of little faith, a phrase that is used in all these passages in the Gospel of Matthew. The last two, 14.31 and 16 verse 8, specifically addressed to the apostles. Now the apostles do not look good. The disciples do not look good in this story. But I want to tell you, I don't imagine if I would have been on that boat, I would have looked too good in this story either. And I imagine from the heads I saw shaking there that some of the rest of you share that opinion. Jesus is long suffering with them. As he is trying to teach them his greatness and his glory. Why should we listen to this one who tells us that following him is going to involve hardship? Why should we follow him when he demands that we, he take first place over everything in our life? We must listen to him because all of nature listens to him. Because the wind and the wave listen to him. They are they are silenced at his rebuke. And the answer in verse 27 of the response of the disciples in, in to this is what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Who is this? They apparently thought, as we stated before, he could help. They are stunned at what he can do. He can just speak the word in the midst of this most intense storm. And suddenly everything stops. Let me beg you. To make a note of those passages. To read them. To reflect on them. I'm going to pick just one. I'm going to read Job 38 verses 8 through 11. As the Lord is speaking with Job and telling him who he is. And humbling Job, in Job 38 verse 8, Who enclosed the sea with doors, when bursting forth it went out from the womb? When I made its cl- a cloud its garment, and thick darkness a swaddling band, and I placed boundaries on it, then I set a bolt and door, and I said, Thus far you shall come, but no farther, and here shall your proud waves stop. Often ancient man viewed the sea as uncontrollable, a great power that men could not harness. But God is pictured as shutting the door, bolting it shut and saying to the sea, you cannot come any further. But only God in all of these passages is able to do that. And yet Jesus is able to quiet the winds and the waves. 
I think each of these parables, each of these miracles, excuse me, is acted out parables in some respect. When the Bible says, do you not care that we are perishing? Save us, we are perishing. The word for perishing is the same word that is used in 2 Peter 3 in verse 9. The Lord is not slow concerning His promises toward us, but is long-suffering, not wishing any to perish, but all to come to repentance. It talks about being lost. And the word that's used here for save, save us, Lord, we are perishing, is the same word used in Matthew 1 in verse 21, where he came to save his people from their sins. Save us, Lord, we're perishing. The miracles of Jesus point to a deeper spiritual sense in which Jesus can heal. In Acts chapter 4, you remember the situation. The context was there was a lame man who was daily at the temple gate. And Peter and John said, silver and gold I have none, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. He started jumping and leaping and praising God. The Bible tells us he was over 40 years old. And all the people who'd seen this miracle were, were in awe of this deed. Peter and John are called before the Sanhedrin. He says, if we're on trial today because of a benefit done to the sick man, I want you to know that this sick man was made well by the name of Jesus. He was made well by the name of Jesus. And then he says, there is salvation in no other name. For there is no other name given among men by which you must be saved. The word in Acts chapter 4 verse 9, that the sick man, the lame man was made well. The word made well is from the same Greek word translated saved in verse 12. The healing of the lame man, the raising of the lame man, is a picture that Jesus can give salvation. Why should I leave all to follow him? Because we're perishing in a storm. And he can save us. Some of you will remember these words. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the ocean. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. Those are powerful words. We can trust to Him our life, our strength, our all. Everything in the next account shouts out unclean. They're demons. Their tombs, their swine, which were unclean animals. Isaiah 65 verse 4 talked about some who sat among graves and ate 
swine's flesh. This picture is a picture of uncleanness. There were two men who were demon-possessed. And these two men who were demon-possessed were so extremely violent that no one could pass this way. In Mark's account of this, no one could bind this one, even with a chain, because he broke the chain and came free. These men possessed by demons were dangerous. And they said, what do we have to do with you, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? They knew that destruction awaited. They began to ask Jesus, if you cast us out, throw us into this herd of swine. He cast them into the swine. The swine ran down the bank. The Bible tells us there were about 2,000 of these swine in the account in Mark. But I want you to notice, and I've tried not to invoke Mark a great deal at this point, but in Mark 5, I want you to see what he says about this. It's interesting that Matthew is a longer gospel than Mark, but when they are recording the same event, Mark is generally much more extensive than Matthew. And this person who could not be bound with a chain, he would break free of the chains and was constantly screaming day and night among the tombs and cutting himself with stones after Jesus cast out the demon. The Bible tells us in verse 15, Mark 5, 15, they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down Clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Now, again, I, I don't want to undermine these are real miracles, these are real historical events. We first must see that and must see. Who Jesus is and His power. But I would also say, if Jesus could cast out this legion of demons from this man or these men and calm them down and leave them in their right mind, what problem is there of yours? That he can't help for you. What sin are you struggling with that you do not think that you can break free of? What is it? I encourage you to read these accounts and to ask yourself can you break free by the power of Jesus from these sins? But I'll tell you what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to want Jesus following him on his condition. You're going to have to want that above all. It is amazing to me that after Jesus cast out these demons, the whole city in verse 34, Mark 8, excuse me, Matthew 8, 34, the whole city came out to meet him 
And when they saw him, they implored him to leave that region. They'd seen what Jesus could do. But they're afraid of that power. Jesus can change your life. Jesus can turn your world upside down in a good way. Would you rather have your problem? Or would you rather have Jesus? All of these accounts are to point our eyes to him to show us that he is the one who can give the answers. Whatever your problem, whatever your sin, whatever your struggle, the one who can calm the sea and the one who can cast out demons is sufficient and adequate to help. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, as Kyle was emphasizing earlier, if you believe that and you want to be free and you want forgiveness, turn from your sins in repentance, be baptized into Christ as we stand and as we sing.